Now, today is September 11, and we started the service off with a remembrance of September 11th. It's uh, 21 years. It was not part uh, of something that I was planning. If I go back to when I said we're going to preach through Romans, I was not planning, okay, let's be sure that we're covering the subject of suffering on September 11th. That was not part of my plan. It just is the way that as we've been preaching through Romans, it just comes out that we're in the middle of Romans 8 on September 11th, uh, a passage that deals with not only human suffering, but the fact that we live in a sin-fallen world that is suffering. And I believe God has a word for us today. God has a word for each of us in what we have been through, what we are going through, or what we might about be to go through. So find Romans chapter 8, and let's uh, look beginning with verse 18. Romans chapter 8, this great chapter. I told someone this morning we could spend three months just in the book of Romans. But if you found your place, let's start. Thank you for standing as we begin reading with verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Listen, if that's all that Romans 8 gave us on suffering, that would be enough. (laughs) That would be enough, but there's some explaining that takes place. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We've said it already. Our bodies have not yet been glorified. We have been justified by grace through faith. We are in the process of being sanctified, and one day, praise God, we'll receive a new body, a glorified body. Now, in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience, or some translations say with anticipation. Father, we thank you for these words of not only encouragement, of explanation of why we experience what we experience this side of eternity. Lord, sometimes when we wait till the midst of the crisis to ask the question, it's it's too late. So, Lord, help us to, to draw close to you and to understand what you're telling us in your word so that we can give an answer, give a reason for the hope that is within us in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. A lot of folks feel like they're really going through it in life, and they ask the question, God, why am I going through this? Now, I read a a letter several years ago. Many of you were not attending here back then, so I thought I would read it again from that famous person called Anonymous. But it was a letter to an insurance company And the letter was an explanation of uh, a claim that had been made and uh, that had asked for further explanation. And so let me just read the letter. 
I am writing in response to your request for additional information. In block number three of the accident reporting form, I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more, and I trust that the following details are sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working along on the roof and uh, roof of a six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which fortunately was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing a rope at the ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went back to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will note in block number 11 of the accident reporting form that I weigh 135 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight in block number 11. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building in the vicinity of the third floor. I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fra fractured ankles and lacerations of my legs and lower body. The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell on the pile of bricks and unfortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks in pain, unable to move, and watching the barrel six stories above, I again lost my presence of mind and I let go of the rope. Some of you feel like that is a microcosm of your life. <laughs> Some are going, Pastor Robbie, I've had a day like that. Man, you know those days. Some of you are going, no, I've had a month. I've had a year. Some of you are saying, I've had a season of life. And some of you would say, you know, it just seems my whole life has been like that. I don't get it. The skeptic comes along and says, if there is a God, then he must either not be all-loving or he must not be all-powerful. Because if he is both all-loving and all-powerful, if he's all-loving, he would not want us to suffer. He would love us too much for that. If he was all-powerful and he could do something to prevent it, he could do something about it. So if there is a God, he must not be all-loving and all-powerful. And I heard one atheist recently argue that if there is a God, and he will allow this kind of suffering, I don't want to know him. In fact, 
he closed his arguments in an apologetics debate by saying, if there is a God who will allow us to suffer, then he can just send me to hell because I do not want to know a God that would allow me to suffer. Paul knew suffering. The world is full of suffering. People are striving to overcome human suffering. Helen Keller, many of you have read her story, lost her vision at 19 months of age from either scarlet fever or meningitis. They did not have the capability to grasp all of that back at that time. She made this statement later after overcoming much. She said, the world is full of suffering, but it is also full of people overcoming suffering. The world is full of suffering, but people are constantly overcoming suffering. Paul knew suffering, and he knew his Lord was one who come as a suffering servant. Here's, here's a question. What do we need to know? If we're going to find victory through suffering, if we're going to find victory through suffering, what do we need to know about suffering according to Romans chapter 8? Number one this morning, know this. Know that our empathy with the cry of creation, our empathy with the cry of creation is being compared during this time. It's giving a little bit of um, clarity when we look at what happened from the very beginning. Going back to verse 18 when he says it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed, that God is showing us that there's something better than this life, there's, there's something better than this world. But he explains how we got into the mess, this mess. It goes back to the, our theology, going back to chapter 1 in the previous chapters in Romans, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to futility. We go all the way back to Genesis 3, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, when Adam sinned, we all identified with him as our father, and in Adam all sinned. The world became a sin-fallen planet, a sin-cursed planet, all the way back in chapter 3. So in hope that creation itself will also be set free as we find redemption in Christ, one day the world finds restoration in Christ into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains. That means not only are you looking for a better day, even this planet is looking for a better day. Not only that, we ourselves, we identify with it. We empathize with the planet. <laughs> we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits. we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. The earth was cursed in the fall. The earth groans for and longs for a better day. Every earthquake, every tornado, every flood, every fire, every hurricane, every natural disaster is this earth crying out and groaning for a day of restoration, groaning for a day of redemption because the earth has been under a curse from the beginning every time. People suffer. We identify, we empathize with the cry of creation. If you go back to Genesis 3, you see that the ground was cursed. You see that the animals 
were cursed. You see that the vegetation was cursed. And that you see that man, Adam and Eve, were under sin's curse. The good news is according to Isaiah chapter 11, 6 through 9, the animals are going to be restored one day. There's going to be a day, there, there's a taste of it in the millennial kingdom and then in the new heaven and new earth. By the way, there's not just, read Revelation, how all this concludes. There's not just a new heaven, but there's going to be also a new earth. And in that day, we're told that the wolf will lay down with the lamb. I know we like to sing the lion of the lamb, but it's the wolf that will lay down with the lamb. In that day, the desert will bloom again. In that day, the thorns will become juniper trees. And so vegetation and the soil and the dirt and the animal kingdoms will all experience a recreation of being made new again. And we identify with that because even we in these earthly tabernacles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in these earthly tents, see, we, we have been justified by grace through faith. The Spirit of God has come to live in us, and so our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us, whom we've received of God. And in that, we're being sanctified. We're being made more like Christ in our spirit. But yet we still live in what Paul calls an earthly tabernacle. And not until the resurrection of Christ, the rapture of the church, will we be given a glorified body. And he says, I know that some of you are thinking this. Well, then what happens if I die and the timeline continues until the resurrection and I do not have my glorified body at that point? What, what, what's it, is it just soul sleep? Paul says, no, to be absent from the body is in that very moment to be present with the Lord. And many preachers have erroneously preached that the people who have died in Christ are already experiencing the new heaven which has not been established yet. He told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, today, in that moment. So it wasn't soul sleep. 2 Corinthians 5, he says, even in that what he calls that naked state, <laughs> What does he mean by that? That you are unclothed by a body to be absent from the body in your spirit and soul, you are present with the Lord. He says, even in that naked state of being present with the Lord, you're still longing for the day of the resurrection where you will be further clothed with a glorified body. So you would like, Pastor Robbie, what is paradise like? All I know is that you're with Jesus and that's enough. You are absent from the body. You are not in soul sleep. You are present with the Lord. And those who have died in Christ are more alive today than ever before in the presence of Jesus Christ. But yet they are longing, just as you and I are longing for that resurrection body, that glorified body that we will one day walk in the presence of Christ with, that one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so as the planet cries out for redemption, so our bodies cry out, and until then, we suffer the consequences of living in a sin-fallen world. Now, that is theology that you can't learn in the moment of a crisis. When somebody calls me with serious news, grave news, broken-hearted news, I don't ride in my car over to their home or to the hospital or to a funeral home and say, 
let me get over there and straighten their theology out. Because in those moments, you're not ready to receive it. But in these seasons of life where you can understand and receive and think with clarity, that's when we need to get our theology right and, and understand who God is revealing himself to be and what he has said about this planet, what he has said about the present and the future so that when those moments of suffering come, we don't have to learn it all over again. We already have a confidence that comes from knowing Christ. Think about the three crosses for a moment. For people who would say, man, just have enough faith, you're not going to suffer. Just believe and you won't suffer. Three crosses, three men. On one side of Jesus, there is a man who curses him and refuses to believe, and he suffers crucifixion. On the other side of Jesus, there is a man who repents and puts his faith in Christ and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. He is born anew and he still suffers the death of crucifixion. And in the middle, you have the sinless lamb of God who never sinned one time in his life. The only one who never sinned becomes sin for us, still suffering crucifixion. In other words, suffering is universal. It rains on the just and the unjust. The one who didn't repent suffered, and that suffering continued. The cross was nothing compared to the hell that followed. The one who repented stepped into the presence of Jesus in paradise. And Jesus himself, who was going through hell for us, would bring heaven to us in his suffering. We empathize, we empathize with the cry of creation. Secondly, I want you to see our expression of confidence as a Christian. Once we get this, there's a certain hope that we have that the rest of the world does not have. We do not grieve, Paul says, as those who have no hope. But now he says here, verse 24, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, if you had it all figured out, if God took you into the third heaven and showed you everything miraculously, which he could, then no, it's no longer hope. You're then walking by sight. He says, who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. It means that we're living this life understanding it's not all there is. In fact, if there were not suffering this side of heaven, we probably would not cherish heaven like we ought to cherish it. Never forget one of the most difficult drives of my life was when we got the news that Tina's brother had been in a bad accident, and that six-hour drive to North Carolina, praying and grieving and seeking God for a last-second miracle, or maybe that the news is not true. God gave my wife this verse in those dark hours. Hebrews 6, 19, we have this hope. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the veil, behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the Old Testament type of Christ, a picture of someone who would come that God would become man and be acquainted with the feelings of our infirmities. That Jesus, as the one mediator between God and man, would take hold of one of our hands in our suffering, suffering with us, and take hold of the hand of God and join us together, and that nobody would be able to pluck us from the hand of God, no matter what we went through. 
even in the deepest moments of our suffering. That's why he had, the author of Hebrews had written just a couple of chapters earlier, since we have this high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let's hold fast to our confession. For we do not have, he says, a high priest who cannot identify with the feelings of our infirmities, but we have one who in every way was tested or tempted like as we are yet without sin. And then it says, let us come boldly into the throne room of grace, meaning in our suffering, we can come right into the presence of God. Whether it's suffering because we simply live in a sin-fallen world where disasters, catastrophic things happen, hurricanes happen, fires happen, floods happen, tornadoes happen, pandemics happen because we live in a sin-cursed, sin-fallen world, and sometimes we are the victims of that circumstance. Sometimes we suffer because of our own sins. Sometimes we suffer because we're victims of somebody else's sin. Whatever the cause, he says, we have this high priest, Jesus Christ, who has entered into the very presence of God, and we can, through the Spirit, come boldly into his presence and find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. When, well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't deserve God's favor in this moment. We find mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. That's an expression of confidence. So the world sees something. Listen, three on a cross, all suffering. One was the sinless son of God who we could never be. One was repentant and broken and still suffered, but suffered with hope and the assurance of eternity. The other one suffered, rejecting and scorning the one who was dying for the sins of the world. The difference between you and I and the rest of this world is not whether or not we will go through seasons of suffering, brokenheartedness, grief, loss, torment. It's how we walk through it with hope, pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ in those moments. The one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the difference. The, expression of confidence as a Christian that I have chosen to follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most miserable. We might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But we have hope in something that is so much bigger and so much better than what this world has to offer. And finally, I want you to see our experience in the comfort of Christ. The world doesn't have that. You need to know the comfort of Christ that the world does not know until they turn to Christ. That was not God giving me a warning to be quiet. Our experience in the comfort of Christ. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. What does he mean, Weakness. Physically, I can't handle this. Emotionally, I can't handle this. Mentally, I certainly can't get my mind around it. God, why would you allow this to happen? Because we do not know what to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. You've been there before where you didn't even know what to pray? You were like, I know that it's my faith that should carry me through this, but I am suffering in such a way that I can't, I can't even appropriate my faith. I don't even know what to pray in this moment, Lord. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit that's living inside of us 
because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Listen, it's in those moments you don't know what to pray, that you're on your face before God and he's interpreting the groanings of your heart. All you can do is cry out. All you can do is say, God, I can't handle this. Oh, God, do something. God, do something. I can't do this, God. And God is saying, I know you can't, but I can and I will and I'm here and I'm holding you and I'm upholding you. Reinforcing what we learned back in verses 15 through 17, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. God is saying, I love you, child, and I'm here, and I'm not going to leave you. If children also heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified together with him. Back to verse 28. A favorite verse for many believers. One of the first five verses many believers ever memorize, but we take it out of context and we don't say, oh, wait a minute, that verse was given for me for a season of suffering? And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say everything you go through in life is good. It says that God will work all those things together for your good if you love God and you're living out the calling according to his purposes to know him and to make him known. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. Notice that predestination is based on the foreknowledge. It's not robbing you of a, the ability to choose or reject Christ. But he knows what you'll do with your choice. And those he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Why would he allow us to go through suffering? Jesus went through suffering, and suffering is going to make you more like Jesus. I want to know Christ, back to Philippians 3.10, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings that I might attain to the resurrection power. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those he predestined, he called, those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Wait a minute, now glorified is past tense. You're saying, Pastor Robbie, I thought I wasn't yet glorified. What Paul is saying is that if you are in Christ, it's a done deal. You are citizens of heaven already. You are just ambassadors for Christ here. And as ambassadors for Christ here, you're going to suffer as Christ suffered, as the prophets before him suffered, as the apostles suffered, because he's doing a work in you to make you, what is he doing? What, what's this whole thing about predestination about? It's about you becoming conformed. It's not about robbing you of a choice whether or not to re reject or accept Christ. It, it's about being conformed to the image of his son. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 3 says that God sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. A refiner and purifier of silver. What's that all about? A lady was doing a Bible study on Malachi, and she read that verse, and she knew a silversmith. And she said, I'm going to go ask the silversmith what it means that God sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. And so when she went to him, he said, well, put it this way. If I leave the silver in the fire too long, it will damage it. 
I'm, I'm not going to let that happen to the silver. But he says, if I don't leave it in the fire long enough, it will not purify it. And she said, well, then how in the world do you know when it's been long enough? And he said, oh, I, I take it out of the fire. And when I look in that liquid silver, if like a mirror I can see my reflection, it's ready. It's ready. God is allowing us to go through suffering to serve the purpose of conforming us to the person, the work, the character that he's called us to be, to reflect Christ, to reflect Christ in this world. God, I don't understand it. Remember, we won't always understand it. We won't get our mind around it this side of heaven, but he gets his arms around us and he walks us through what we're going through. And he says, listen, this is what you're going through. The grief, the brokenness, the challenges, the testing, the work. It's not worthy to be compared to the glory that's gonna be revealed. Keep on running this race with endurance. Would you bow your heads with me?